Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Welcome to the 21st episode of the Pulling Tart Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Kuhn. Thanks so much for tuning in, folks. Make sure you share this podcast with your friends on all forms of social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. Share it with all your friends, please. Subscribe and drop a rating. Give me a follow on Twitter at It's R.A. Kuhn. That's I-T-S-R-A-C-O-O-N to share all your thoughts and comments on how to make this podcast better. That's where you can reach out to me to come on the podcast as a guest as well. I'd like to welcome on a good friend of mine, Josh Keener. Josh is the head softball coach at Rockford University in Rockford, Illinois. He has also served as the radio broadcaster and an official scorer for the Beloit Snappers single-A affiliate of the Oakland Athletics. Can't wait to get into this conversation with Josh right after this break. Josh, welcome on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. How do you think COVID-19 will affect your job as head softball coach moving forward? Well, thanks for having me on, Bobby. Uh, haven't seen your face in a long time. I know, so man. Crazy. It's been so long. What, what, what has it been, four years? Uh, was that when you moved out back out east? Yeah. Time flies, dude. I know. I know it. Um... Yeah, COVID, man, it's been crazy um, for, for just about everybody involved in college athletics um, at every level. Mm-hmm. Uh, athletics in general, right? I mean, obviously, minor league baseball has been devastated right. by it. But, uh, yeah, so for, for us with softball, we, we actually made our spring trip this year. Uh, we, we went down to Florida. We played eight games, and we flew uh, out of Orlando back to Milwaukee on Thursday, March 12th. Okay. Uh, that was the day that the NCAA made the announcement that the Final Four was, was can- or that the uh, March Madness tournament was canceled. Oh, wow. Week. So rumors kind of started swirling, and then sure enough, on, on Friday, um, that was kind of the day the world stopped, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I believe it was Wednesday March 11th that uh, Rudy Gobert ended up, uh, the, the NBA shut down, right, that yeah. night? Yeah. Um, so this is all going on kind of while we're, we're uh, starting our season out, and um, it, it was all surreal in the moment, right? Yeah. Think, um, this is going to happen to you, that, that you know our season isn't going to get canceled because of this you know mysterious virus. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's three, three and a half months ago. Um we know I think a little bit more now maybe not but yeah. uh, depends on yeah. who you talk to exactly so um, it was it was really hard for our girls um, all of our athletes our, our baseball guys too um, to, to lose to lose their season man and right. especially at the D3 level when you know we, we don't get to play as many games as they do um, at the division one level we're at like the junior colleges do so sure we put the time in um, in the off season to, to not get to play a lot of games we actually say you know within our team something we, we focus on is 
we spend 85% of the year uh, to get ready for 15% of the year. Right. So only 15% of, of the, the 365 days are we playing games. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of preparation, and, and you don't get to, to kind of reap the rewards of that. Um, so that's tough. But thankfully, the NCAA um, put the waivers in place where our kids aren't going to lose a year of eligibility. Uh, we had a handful of seniors, and, and just about all of them are, are going to come back. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, there, a couple of them are, are pursuing master's degrees. Um, okay. A couple of them still had some school to finish up. So um, we're much more fortunate than some programs. Right. Um, so, you know, you try to look at the positives, and um, I, I, I'm pretty confident in saying every baseball, softball player out there, when they get to take the field again um, and compete, they're, they're not going to take things for granted because it uh, – that's hard, man. It's gut wrenching going through that. Right, right, and especially with you guys being D three, it's like probably not. I mean, yeah, probably none of these, especially with softball. Nobody's going pro. Um, base baseball, maybe a guy can get picked up by indie ball or something like that. But but yeah, I mean, really, like softball when it's done, it's done as far as college goes, right? Absolutely, man. So, um, yeah, you nailed it. Ninety-nine percent of these kids, right? This is the pinnacle um, for yeah. them. I mean, they, they've played the game since they were six, seven, eight years old. Mom and dad have, have followed them every step of the way, right? And, um, and for it to end like that for for those seniors is is tough. And actually, with our baseball program, um, we we had a young man that um, he actually recruited him um, when I was still with the baseball program, um, and he, he came in as a freshman and was about 78 miles an hour. He was the number four pitcher on his uh, on his high school team. And uh, we have a phenomenal head baseball coach at, at Rockford, and mm-hmm. uh, he's, a, he's a pitching guru. So uh, he, he molded this kid, and, and to this kid's credit, man, he attacked every workout we gave him. But he was uh, he was an All-American as a, as a junior, a preseason All-American this year. He wow. was the uh, pitcher of the year in the conference last year. Um, it had a legitimate chance um, to go in the later rounds. Uh, yeah. Yeah had uh you know the full 40 rounds or, or whatever it ends up being so um tough for him he, you know he's he, he made the videos and um he's sending them out on the flat ground app and hopefully uh somebody gives him a call at some point or, or an indie ball opportunity presents itself yeah um, you know you go back to school but how attractive is a guy you know coming off of five years uh, of college baseball you know you sure. get into the game staying and you're already you know kind of aged out of, of low eight ball right at right 24 years old so um, it's tough, man, and I think when we talk about baseball and professional baseball, it's as hard as it's ever been, maybe, um, yeah. at yeah. least in the modern era, uh, for guys to make it with what's going on in the last year. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you go about recruiting players? What's your speech like when you're sitting in the living rooms with families? Yeah, so it's... um. It's definitely evolved, uh, kind of like anything, right? The more you do it, um, I, I think you, if you're if you're intentional about it, you kind of review how you've done it in the past and, and try to make changes and, and be better mm-hmm. as you go along and, and, and grow and develop in that. It, it is sales, yeah, uh, all the way around it, right? I mean, it, you you are selling something, uh, but that doesn't. I think sometimes that comes with a negative connotation, um, and, and it doesn't have to, right? So. Um, the number one thing for me is is I have to sell myself, and, and in doing so, I think honesty and transparency is something that kids pick up on and, and that parents appreciate. Sure. Um, you know, it, it, when we talk about like a liberal arts school versus a junior college, 
I, you know, the first thing is, hey, if, if money's going to be the number one issue for you and you need the cheapest option, it's not going to be us. Right. Uh, and, and I think right away when you can establish that, uh, you know, you're not trying to mislead them, you want what's best for their kid. I always, I had the fortune of, of working at and coaching at the school that I graduated from. So, you know, I, I like to throw in there, I'm paying the student loans back right now. I, I get it. Sure. Um, and I understand the, the, the need to, uh, you know, minimize that cost as much as possible. It's, it's all about cost, right? It, yeah. Anything with sales. Um, it, it's trying to get people to, to understand the value that they're getting for the price that they're paying. Sure. Um, no different with athletics and, and uh, college, but um, we, we always want to make sure the education piece is right for the kids. So um, if they're set on a major and we don't have it, I'm not going to waste their time. Um, if we if they're interested in something that we have, that that opens the door. Sure. Uh, one of my favorite lines is, "I, I know you're going to enjoy the softball part or the baseball part, right? I know you're going to enjoy the athletic experience because I have control over that, and, and I believe in my ability to provide a good experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to make sure that the school piece works for you. So, right. You want to go to a big party school, you know, with with uh, thousands of undergrads. We're probably not a good fit for you. If you want small class sizes and more individual attention, then we, we might be somewhere for you to consider. So, okay, um, yeah, I think in a nutshell, that's kind of uh, from a program standpoint, it certainly changed when we um, took over the softball program three years ago. Uh, the program was in a bad place. We only had eleven girls, and, and we just weren't very good. Um, we we've, we managed to go from five wins to sixteen wins. Um, oh wow. Year. Uh, we, we had a nice start to the season. We were six and two in our eight, eight games, and um, poised to uh, to make some noise. I think so. Yeah. Um, it, that that message is kind of turning from you can be a part of transforming this program to um, you know you can help sustain our success long term. Sure, sure. So, where what like what area geographically are you recruiting from? Um. Mostly local, and when I say local, usually like a hundred mile radius. Okay. Um, so we're we're located in northern Illinois, about seventy miles straight west of Chicago. Yeah. Um, so there's there's pros and cons that comes with that, right? Um, obviously there there's a, there's a lot of people. There's a big population. Rockford, mm-hmm. um, Madison's only an hour away, um, and, and then all the folks in Chicago and the Chicago suburbs. There's also a ton of schools in yeah. those areas. So. Um, the, the competition is, is fierce um, on the recruiting side, but yeah, I would say um, you know about an hour west of Rockford to about the Iowa border, um, and then into southern Wisconsin, and then um, over to Chicago, and then south, um, you know, about as far as Bloomington. Okay. So. All right. Very cool. What is your favorite place to travel to when you're out recruiting? Oh man, that's a tough one. Um, I'm a big fan of Rosemont. They they have oh, cool. uh, uh, we actually one of our conference schools plays their games um, at the Bandits Stadium. So mm. um, any any big pro uh, fast pitch fans out there, that that's always fun to go to. There's also a nice dome there, so they always have good events. But um, there's a ton to do in Rosemont. Um, there's always there's always stuff going on. So Texas um, Day Brazil. What's that? Texas Day Brazil, the Brazilian steakhouse is in Rosemont. Yeah, that, that's a little out of my per diem. Uh, <laughs> yeah. For the meals, but uh, yeah, there's there's plenty to do out there, man. Yeah. And it's you know the, the cool thing with uh, where we're at with Rockford and, and even in Beloit, as you know, everything's right off the interstate, mm-hmm. so it's super easy to get to all these you know fairly you know, big cities or, or big areas. Um, so the, the travel is really convenient that way. Okay. 
So before you became the head softball coach, you were an assistant baseball coach. You alluded to that. That's got to be a big change, right? What's the biggest difference between coaching baseball and softball? Yeah, so I I would kind of break that into to two parts. So on the recruiting side, um, it's much more enjoyable, or it has been for me anyway, uh, to recruit female athletes. And I, I think especially when we talk about it under the umbrella of Division three. You know, you talk to 17, 18-year-old males playing baseball, they want to get drafted, right? That's, yeah. that's the carrot. That, that's mm-hmm. what they want. And, and they, you know, percentage-wise, statistically, Division three is not going to be the best route for that. doesn't mean it can't happen. Right. Uh, Chat- Chapman at Division three University got taken in the third round this year, so it's yeah. absolutely possible. But um, that's something that you're, you're constantly up against when you're recruiting quality players on the baseball side. You don't have that um, with female athletes. Certainly the, the athletic scholarship piece still hurts, but females are much more willing to at least have that conversation with you, I've found, um, being a Division three program. Okay. It opens the door. It, it gives you a chance to form that relationship. Um, so that, that's been a major difference. It, it's, um, it's funny how many texts and calls that, that don't get returned with male athletes. Um, and, and the percentage just seems to be much, much higher with females. Even when they say, it, you know, they're, they're better at saying no. And they're, True. Uh, tend to be more respectful about your time and um, what you're putting into it as a coach. On the coaching side of it, yeah, man, um, philosophy and has to change um, quite a bit. One of the best pieces of advice um, I got when, when I took over the softball program was you, you need to coach them like males but treat them like females. And that really okay. resonated with me. That you still have to push them and be hard on them, and push them physically and push them mentally. Um, but you, you have to be a little—I uh, don't want to say softer because I think that that is demeaning in a way. Right. Um, you have to have a different set of soft skills when dealing with female athletes. Okay. Um, I think the mental side of it is is very very important. We we have to make sure that our girls are in the right frame of mind going into a game. Um, it, it it just. In my limited experience with female athletes, that that's much more crucial than with males. Males sure. have an ability to snap out of things, um, to not let things kind of drag on them or wear on them as much. Where females might need a little bit of that um, constant reassurance, right? That hey, you know, we're we're gonna move past it. We're we're gonna get through it. Okay. Um, so, times males need a little more kick in the butt. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. But like, obviously, you grew up playing baseball. I think you even had. Um, a little bit of college experience, right? Um, how do you go, like, even, like, pitching, like, how do you even, like, coach a girl, like, pitching softball because it's not anything that you've done or had coaching yourself? Yeah, that's a great question, man. And um, Thank I, you. I will say that on the fundamental, the skill side of things, most things translate, in my opinion, from baseball to softball. Um, I would imagine, but yeah, I don't know for sure. Like, you know, infield actions, the swing, um, philosophies with, with outfield play, a lot of those things are transferable. Pitching is completely um, completely different. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'll be the, the first to admit that I have a lot to learn uh, on that side of the game uh, because it is something that, that I'm not very familiar with. Sure. Um, so I think it comes down to surrounding yourself with really good people um, and, and having people that can complement your strengths within your staff, right? So, okay. Um, my uh, first full season um, there, we, we brought on a, a volunteer pitching coach in the summer. 
um, and, and then we had um, a, a different one uh, that helped us out this off season. So, you know, you, you have to know what your strengths are as a coach and, and know what your weakness are, weaknesses are, and that's probably more important. Even um, so, it's I think for me, it's a matter of, of a constant process of reflection and understanding what I do well and where I need help. Right? Okay. And, and when, yeah. When you bring in good people and then also empower those people to actually coach your athletes, um, that, that's when you have a cohesive staff that, that works well together, and that's when you get player development. Right, right. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense, honestly. Um, so we touched on the, the coaching portion, and we're going to transition into the Beloit Snappers aspect, the minor league aspect of um, your multiple jobs. So um, we're, we're going to transition to the Beloit Snappers portion of this interview right after this break. Josh, welcome back. What's the hardest call you've ever had to make as an official scorer for the Beloit Snappers? This question is incredibly easy for me, Bobby. Uh, I think I remember. If yeah, I if I, I don't think know the exact date, but it was summer of 2014. Um, Quad Cities is in town. River Bandits starting pitcher has a no hitter going into the ninth inning. Uh, I don't remember who the hitter was. Rick Mignante was the uh, the boy manager at the time, but uh, batted ball. It's it's a hot one shot or uh, one hopper to the shortstop, about half a step to his left. Kind of a lays it, plays it off the wrist, um, and, and I ruled it a hit. Um, my gut reaction was that play was beyond ordinary difficulty. I ruled it a hit put it on the scoreboard and just felt every set of eyes in the ballpark come up to the press box. Um, <laughs> the were mad. The, the few Quad Cities family members that were there were, were upset. Uh, the River Bandits players were mad. Snappers players, I, I don't know. But um, that one was tough. So back then, and they've changed this rule um, since 2014, but back then, the official scorer was the one that would have to go into the clubhouse yeah. and deliver box scores um, to both managers. So what that allowed for was managers to bring up any disputes that they had with scoring calls throughout the game, right? Right. Mignante, I'll, I'll never forget this, um, he, he looked at me and said something to the effect of, you guys don't understand what kind of impact that decision has. And I kind of looked at him, and, and I was going to wear it. Rick didn't know me. I didn't know him. He didn't know my background. Right. I knew well what the results of that was because they pulled that pitcher right after that decision. Right. Um, if we would have called it E6, he probably would have stayed in the game. The guy had induced like 16 ground balls on the night. I would have got a double play, got out of the inning, yeah. uh, and, and finished it off. So I, I knew what Rick meant, that, that calling that a hit led to a, a pitching change on their side, cost the kid the no-hitter. So Rick was mad. Yeah, uh, I, I saved his team from getting no hit, and I say I obviously the gentleman that got the barrel to it did it, but right. uh, but he it was almost like he would have rather been no hit than, than for me to make that call. So I, I I leave Rick's office thinking, man, if the home t- 
team managers that have said, I can't wait to see what Omar Lopez, who was the uh, River Bandits manager at the time, right. uh, reaction's going to be. And Bobby, he looked me in the eye and he said, are you the official scorer? I said, yes, sir. He said, you got a lot of balls, kid. And I wasn't really sure how to take him. Uh, he asked me to explain my decision to him. I, I did. And he, he just nodded and he said, I, I appreciate you coming in here. And, and that was it. Okay. And I, there, I could... I, I tell you, Bobby, their locker room, or, or at least that that coach's office, those guys kind of cared less. Okay, um, wow. It, it, was, it was surreal. It was bizarre. Um, I didn't sleep well that night, to be completely honest, because I felt like I, I costed the kid a no-hitter. But right. I reflect back on it in the moment. Um, it was a hot shot and a tough play, and I thought the guy deserved a hit. Yeah, I remember sitting to your left um, when you made that call, and you're and and I agreed with you. It could have went either way, honestly. Um, but I, I agreed with your explanation of it. And I, I I forewarned you. I'm pretty sure I said you're the one that's going to have to take these box scores into the clubhouse. And then I wish you the best of luck. <laughs> Little did I know that minor league baseball was going to change that rule. Um, and was it the very next year they changed it? Oh yes, it was the very next year they changed it so that the official scorers were not the ones taking in the box score. It was it was going to be a mutual party, and I apparently was that mutual party for the next two years, and I had to wear a lot of things and had to explain um, rulings on the field and stuff like that and. I don't miss that at all. I'll tell you, my, my favorite confrontation uh, was actually with Mark Grudzelanek. I don't know if you remember this yeah. story, but uh, I think it was before you were there. So my first year with the Snappers was 2012. Um, so again, you know, I'm going to the, to the locker rooms and meeting with managers and that. So there's runners on first and second, and uh, Grudzelanek, I believe, was with Peoria. Um, and there's a no I'm sorry King County yeah it was with the King County Cougars um, at the time so runners on first and second King County uh, is up to bat and hitter lays down a bunt third base side pitcher fields it cleanly and throws it into left field I didn't credit his guy with the sacrifice because in my estimation it was a routine play for the pitcher to throw out the lead runner at third base okay so I go into the uh, to the coach's office after the game and um, he asked why why his guy didn't get a sacrifice. I said, well, I, I didn't think it was a successful sacrifice. It, I charged a throwing air to the pitcher, and that assumed would be out at third base. And right. the line to me was, you're doing an awful lot of assuming up there. Huh. I had to explain to Mr. Grizzlonic that that's the job of the official scorer. That's one right. of the things about baseball, right, is that our statistics are based on, a lot of times, assumptions. Yeah. When we about sacrifices and earned runs and um, you know, pass balls versus wild pitches, and there's a lot of assumptions yeah. inherent in the job. Oh yeah. So I, I'll just never forget my. And growing up a Cubs fan, you know, I uh, grew to like was with the 2003 team, and so <laughs> you know, I, I thought it was cool going into it that you know, I'm gonna get to meet Mark Grudzelak in this series, and then right. I was thinking that guy's kind of a jerk, but he he has the reputation of that um, for sure. But yeah, I remember issues with him later on as well, but. Yeah, it's it's not an easy job. 
people th- people think think it's a cake job, but it's it's not. I I would never want to be an official scorer. Um, I've been asked, and I refuse every time. So the only the only thing that separates it from umpiring is uh, nobody can see you doing it. Right. Exactly. Except for in Beloit in April, everybody can see you doing it. Touche. <laughs> so, speaking of that, are you excited about the Beloit Snappers' new stadium? They broke ground last month, last week, actually. Yeah, a couple weeks, yep. Yeah, who isn't, man? Um, anybody that's been around minor league baseball knows that Pullman Field's kind of been uh, a little bit of a punchline for a long time, so... Yeah. Um, how I mean, how cool for the city of Beloit and and for for those handful of diehard snapper fans that do go out all the time. I mean, you know, we me and you could sit and swap names. You know, the Kim and you know some of the guys that uh, just live and die at, at Pullman. Oh Kings, yeah, some, some new digs and um, it, it's awesome. And, and really, Bobby, I think the most important thing is the timing of all this. You know, in all those years that that we've been there and that you were there, you know, we complain about how. They needed a new stadium in Beloit. Yeah, it would have happened before this year. I'm not sure it would have saved them from contraction. It maybe it would have, but the yeah. timing of it, I think, certainly benefits um, the organization. And, and I think it's pretty much been said, right? This is going to save them. Yeah, uh, from the inevitable contraction of minor league baseball. So, uh, what a slam dunk with the timing of it all. And uh, props to the Hendricks family for getting it done. And, yeah, um, I'm excited, man. It looks beautiful. The renderings look awesome. I'm excited. Yeah, it's just in the nick of time. Um, they've been working on this. A lot of people have been working on this for a very long time. Um, so I worked for the Delmarva Shorebirds for three years, and the general manager there told me that he interviewed for the general manager position in Beloit a, lo- you know, a long time ago, he, probably 20 years ago. And he said that they were talking about getting a new stadium then. And and now it's finally come to fruition. Um, the board of directors has worked extremely hard. I And I'll be the first to admit, I had my doubts. Um, I think the whole community did, Bobby, to be completely honest. Yeah. I mean, working with the board of directors, um, not day in and day out, but like periodically, and I I had my doubts that they were going to get this done. Um, and quite honestly, like there's a lot of people um, like myself, Timmy Hines, uh, Seth Flolid, um, you know, a lot of other people who put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into Pullman Field into making sure that the community of Beloit had affordable family baseball entertainment and for this to actually to come to fruition is amazing i i want to go back to a game so badly oh i couldn't agree more man and and, you know for all the knocks on pullman field and the lack of amenities um i know i i go out of my way all the time to tell people it's one of the best and most affordable things that you can do entertainment-wise, especially if you have kids. Yeah. The, the things that, that our staff there does and the food offerings, I mean, it, people that travel the Midwest League will tell you that the, the, the concessions at Boyd are, are right up there. Um, it, it's a it's a great – it was a great place to go catch a game, and I'm sure the new facility is just going to add to that. Um, I think it's awesome for the city of Boyd. They need it. Um 
everybody in every part of America right now needs something to be excited about, right? Absolutely. Uh, and especially baseball fans. Yeah. So, um, and, and for those of you that don't know, Beloit is a, a pretty um, diverse community. Mm-hmm. Um, there is quite a bit of poverty there. So um, hopefully this, this stadium does something to uh, to help, you know, the, the residents of that community and provide some employment um, and get us an awesome place to go catch a ball game. Yeah, yeah, I I really want to go back and have a few beers, maybe maybe more than a few, um, <laughs> and just kind of reminisce. On my couch if you do. All right, cool, cool. I I can get down with that. I'm sure if I call DC up, he'll let me crash on his couch too. Um, even though he didn't uh, return my text message about coming on to this podcast, but anyways. Does DC text? He doesn't. Yeah, he. Tech, yeah, he's he's kind of big into technology, honestly, for for being an older gentleman. But um, but yeah, so I'm gonna have to call him one of these days and just kind of bug him a little bit. But I think we touched on it a little bit. I don't know if you have any more to add. If you don't, we'll edit it out. What does the new stadium mean for Beloit and the surrounding communities? Yeah, I, I, you know it. This community and, and the surrounding areas, so Rockford and Beloit are about 30 minutes apart, but yeah. um, they share a lot of, you know, the, the entertainment districts, I, I think there's a lot of back and forth, right? So a lot of people cross the state line uh, both ways to enjoy the amenities on, on both sides of the border. Yep. Well, I, I think what you're going to see is, is folks from the Rockford area um, going up to Beloit, and, and I think you're going to see folks from Janesville, which is just north of Beloit coming down. It, it's a fairly sizable city. Um, I, I think it's going to bring a, a lot to the city of Boyd in terms of, of foot traffic. Yeah. Um, that being said, I, I think this first year is incredibly important for them um, with this new stadium. Absolutely. When, when you can provide that amazing experience the first time people come through the door, I mean, you know, man, you've been in the business a long time. Uh, that's that's They keep coming back, right? Yep. And, and on the flip side, when they don't have a good experience that first time out, um, it, it's going to be really hard to get them back. Yeah. So, um, I'm sure that, that the front office there knows that um, and knows the importance of, of 2021. And in a way, for, for this group, Bobby, maybe it's a blessing um, that the 2020 season has been canceled because they can now put all of their time and energy and efforts into making 21 you know, right. phenomenal for, for the community. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's going to benefit businesses, um, the community as a whole, individuals. Um, it's just... You know, it's the only now. Now Rockford has the Ice Hogs, but besides that, um, it's the only professional sporting event in the state line in in that area, really. Um, in the yeah, summertime, between, absolutely. I mean, between between Schaumburg and, and Madison, Milwaukee, yeah, yeah. Bullet and Rockford are, are it, and fortunately, the Ice Hogs uh, and the Snappers have a pretty good relationship and yeah. those seasons don't uh, don't conflict so exactly uh, get a lot of crossover in, in those fans yeah I do I did love uh, always going to Ice Hogs games those were so fun we we had a uh, season ticket exchange if you will so we, we would get we would give them four seats for the whole season we'd get four seats of theirs for the whole season it was great Dollar dollar hot dogs, dollar beer nights. I love that at the Ice Hogs games. Yeah, a, another great example of 
super portable entertainment in town that um and another place where there's not a bad scene in the house, kind of like Pullman Field here. Yeah. You know, talk about all the bad stuff, but you're on top of the action, man. You are right on top of everything. Oh, yeah. Maybe well, sometimes we've had some scares up in the press box because we, we kind of do have that bird's eye view. We see every elderly person and child that has screaming foul balls come at them. Yep. Oh, so. man. So what's been the most exciting moment that you've seen in the press box at Pullman Field? Uh, Bobby Coon sprinting out of the press box to go pull tarp is the obvious answer. <laughs> uh, watching Bobby not trip over the uh, his own feet or the wet bleachers getting out to the field to pull the tarp, that's always exciting. Um, I, I helped on a few of those, but it was never one of my primary duties, so if I could snake my way out of it, I would. Yeah. Uh, but it gave me the chance to kind of watch it. And, uh, usually I would be recording in case something, you know, Awesome happened during those tournaments, <laughs> but nothing too crazy ever did. Uh, um, the yeah. most exciting moments: uh, August of 2017, uh, Zach Irwin, Joseph Camacho, combined no-no. Um, I, I felt like I resurrected my, or you know, I, I uh, exercised my demons with the previous botch no hitter that we talked about. Okay. Uh, Irwin and Camacho were able to uh, to complete the no-no without any drama on that one. So I was still there, right? I. I think so. I was I couldn't remember. I remember I remember Irwin, but I don't remember Camacho. Yeah, Camacho was out of the bullpen primarily, from what I recall. Okay. Um, but yeah, that was awesome, dude. Those two guys, um, those two guys throwing the throwing the combined no no was yeah. Was pretty, as an official scorer, man, you sit there the whole game like you you know you, you just want routine like four three ground balls. Yeah. Uh, or you just want a clean hit for it to be over with. So you're kind of on pins and needles. Yeah, and, of course. Uh, maybe not as excitement as much as just the, the biggest uh, sense of relief um, is when those guys finished it right. off. But, dude, there's a couple of moments that come to mind, man. We, we got to see Matt Chapman coming up. Yeah. Um, phenomenal. Uh, Matt Olson, Bruce Maxwell, Renato Nunez. Like, some of those dudes were, uh, you could tell, but, I mean, back then that they were head and shoulders among the rest. Oh, yeah. Um, the one that really stands out is, is Carlos Correa on an opposing side. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was obviously hyped. You know, we, we knew who he was coming in. Sure. Overall, but um, I always heard that he threw the ball 100 miles an hour across the, the infield. And I, I remember uh, the first day that Quadsies was in Boyd that I was scoring the game. Um, I, I wanted to see that. And it just, the ball com- comes out of his hand or came out of his hand, um, unlike anything I'd ever seen on a baseball field. Yeah. So, um, some of the really cool perks of the job, man. Just seeing some of those guys when they're when they're young, and then getting to see them, you know, develop and, and succeed in the big leagues. And some of them that you thought had no chance, um, you know, like Jairo uh, Munoz. <laughs> if you would have told me he would he would have you know hundreds of at bats for the Cardinals by 2019, yeah, I'd say crazy. So um, I had no. I- I didn't think he was going to make it to the majors, honestly. Well, he was really young when he was with Beloit. I want to say he was 18 or 19, um, but he had a lot of growing up to do, and apparently he did it. Um, but then um, we actually talked about Jairo Munoz on um, the episode that's coming out this Thursday. Um, so last week's episode for everybody listening. But um, So Chelsea Ladd, my guest is a big Cardinals fan. She's also a big indie ball fan. But so I asked her if she knew Jairo Munoz 
and because she's a blogger, and she said that she's talked to him a few times, and um, apparently he got injured in spring training for the Cardinals and then just went home, like didn't tell anybody, like didn't rehab or anything, and apparently now he's in the Red Sox organization. Didn't even know that. I didn't know that either until she told me that, and I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, I've always heard things around the ballpark that he was a little flaky, but I, yeah. again, I don't know him personally. But, um, yeah, I would have never guessed he would have been in the big leagues as soon as he got I mean, he got there quick. Yeah, he did. And and I said this on last week's episode, is he led the league in Amazon deliveries. <laughs> like, he, he always, like, pretended, like, not to know any English, but, like, I knew he knew some like enough to like talk to me and and do what I asked him to do but he yeah he he had Amazon deliveries every day another name that I um dropped last episode do you remember Joey Wagman yes the whole the whole reason he was signed by Oakland was because he was a starting pitcher he hadn't pitched in four days, and he was 30 minutes away, and we needed a starting pitcher that night. Never know where the break's going to come in. I know. And he went on to play at all levels in the Oakland system, and then um, for t- Team Israel as well. He, was he uh, an indie ball sign? Yeah, he was with the Rockford Aviators. A- Aviators at the time, yeah. Yeah. That's why I remember yeah. Rockford down the street. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was the whole reason Oakland signed him, was just because he was 30 minutes away. Crazy. Yeah. So, what's your favorite concessions item at Pullman, Pullman Field? Oh, you gotta go Snappy Burger. Yeah. You got the split brat on top of the cheeseburger. Um, my my go-to game day meal was uh, side order, small cheese curd with the Snappy Burger, bottle of Pepsi, you're set. Yeah, it's... Ooh man, some fried cheese curds. I could go for that right now. When I when I talk about cheese curds around here, people look at me funny. Yeah, and it's it's weird too, uh, being so close to the state line because it's not near as much of a thing in northern Illinois as it is southern Wisconsin, even though you're you're twenty minutes away. Right. Love their dairy up there, man. Oh they yeah. Love. And I do remember so my first year in Beloit, I was director of food and beverage, which I absolutely hated. Had no experience in it. It was the worst job I ever had. But it led on to bigger things. Um, but I remember Matt Bozen, the general manager for the Snappers at the time, and he told me, you can't run out of these things. Hot dogs, brats, beer, and cheese curds. And I said, and I looked at him dead in the eye and said, what are cheese curds? <laughs> <laughs> And he looked at me like, oh boy, we got a long way to go. <laughs> uh, For anybody that doesn't know what cheese curds are, there's two different forms of them. There's the fresh and there's the fried. Fried are kind of like mozzarella sticks, except that they're orange cheddar cheese and they're fried. And the fresh ones are basically balls of cheese, and you bite into them, and they squeak. That's how fresh they are. Man, cheese curds are a beautiful thing. I, I miss them here on the East Coast. 
Cheese curds and spotted cow. When's the last time you had a spotted cow? Oh, man. At least four years ago. I'll have to, can you mail beer? Is that a thing? Actually, I'm pretty sure that if you take spotted cow out of the state, it's technically illegal. Because somebody had told me that, like, if you drive over the border of it, of Illinois, with it, it's technically illegal. Like, you're not allowed to leave the state with it. At the risk of incriminating myself, I definitely grabbed some spotted cow a couple weeks ago when I was employed. Good. And brought it back to Illinois, so if anyone's... <laughs> Anybody looking for Josh Keener, he lives at blah, 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 blah. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. No, but spotted cow is really good and it's on tap at Pullman Field so and I'm sure it will be at uh, whatever the new stadium's name is uh, ABC Supply Stadium I believe I believe that's correct alright you know it's really about time that she she backed the snappers Diane Hendricks I mean for a long time she wasn't she wasn't gonna back the new stadium and, and all this and I think she was made aware that this is it's either now or never. Right. So, exactly. so props to her for realizing that, and also it's going to benefit all of her businesses downtown. So, without question. Yeah. Um. So. Oh well. What? So. Oh, we're at the last question, Josh. The most important question, I think. And this, we end the episode with the same question. What has been your favorite walk-up or warm-up song, and whose was it? This is tough, man, because you flash through so many in your head, right? Yeah. I've listened to, uh, I listened to, to Adrian Gonzalez uh, the other day that had on, and um, he kind of said the same thing, right? You go through so many of them. So I recently discovered Bad Bunny last summer. Okay. I think anybody that has worked in minor league baseball in the last year is probably familiar with Bad Bunny. So yes. At, at this point in time, man, I, I think Bad Bunny's up there for me. It seems to get get everybody rocking. Uh, the Latin players love that man, and uh, I think the rest of us are, are coming around on him too. So Bad Bunny's up there. Um, yeah, I don't. Man, do you remember when we used to have conversations about scripting an X-rated night? And like having a Borat night. <laughs> yeah. Those are the things that, that always stick with me. Like the, the conversations just between the members of the press box, dude, those are um, those are the best memories. Yeah. Just the, the stories, the uh, the things that we would plan knowing that we were never actually going to do them because we would all never be invited back. Um, <laughs> and good times. Yeah. What song by Bad Bunny? I knew you were going to ask me that, and I couldn't even name one in particular but no, if you play okay. one, no that's Bad Bunny alright Bad Bunny I'm just gonna google here Maybe. Uh, the Gasolina song is a favorite of mine also no idea what's being said my wife's bilingual god bless her I don't know what's being said but the, the Gasolina song that, that's been played for like 10 years now it seems to be a mainstay yeah that's true um oh I wanted to say congratulations uh, on getting married, by the way. Thank you. It's been a pretty bizarre first year of marriage, spending every waking minute of every day together. Oh. But hate it, we're happy, so... I'm sure. So, 
there's a couple different ones that are really popular for Bad Bunny. There's Kalaita. That's definitely one that was played quite a bit at Pullman Field this last summer. Okay. Do you remember whose walk-up it was? I, there was multiple guys that had Bad Bunny. Really? So there's Safar, Safara, um, Mia, and Salia. You'd have to talk to my guy Eric that uh, has had replaced you as the PA guy. He would uh, he would have those. You PA guys are awesome with that stuff. You guys you guys could tell us the uh, the duration of of each clip, who it was by, what player it was for. Yeah, uh, you probably have nightmares about it. I do, honestly. You wouldn't believe the amount of walk up songs I've had to load and edit and all that kind of stuff. Eight years in minor league baseball and. I will say the biggest culprit of changing their walk-up song, and it's a close second. There's a guy in, in the Orioles system who's a close second. His name was Seamus Curran, and he wanted to change his walk-up song all the time. But nobody changed their walk-up song more than B.J. Boyd. I knew you were going B.J. Boyd. I had a feeling that was the name you were going to drop. Mid-game, second at bat, third at bat. Yeah, <laughs> if if he had my number, it, it, he probably would have honestly. But yeah, all right, man. Any anything else you want to touch on? Yeah, I gotta ask you one. Yeah. Right. What's your What's your favorite uh, press box group moment from Pullman Field? <laughs> um, there's a lot of them, honestly. I um. Now it wasn't like a favorite, but I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. But like I fondly remember when you had to uh, make the decision to break up that no hitter. Um, <laughs> but you got some sick pleasure from that one. Huh? <laughs> um, no, so I think, and I don't know if you were there or not. So there, there's a couple of them. Um, I remember Michael Soto hit a walk-off three-run bomb, um, and that w- I think it was in April, honestly, um, or April or May. I remember it was cold outside, um, and like he wasn't even in the lineup like every day, so it was like really strange um, that he, he was he was kind of like a like an extra coach, honestly, and like they activated him, put him in the lineup, and he hit a walk-off three-run bomb. Um, so that was that was exciting. And then um, <laughs> when <laughs> when I, re- I remember Trace Lair. Do you remember Trace Lair? Yeah. So, he was in Beloit for like three years. Yeah, man. He was in Beloit for a while. A little too long, honestly. Well, left-handed hitting infielder. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, he wanted a new walk-up song. Of course, he told me when gates were already open. Um, so that's that makes things difficult as far as the media or music person goes. Um, so He's a like, gangster rap guy too, right? Yeah, he was a gangster rap guy. And so the audio is all played off of one computer, folks. Like, I can't really stress that enough. And so I'm playing music... When gates are open, so that there's not, so it's not silent. Basically, people just talking amongst themselves. Like there's always like upbeat songs, like when you're entering the stadium and whatnot. 
And um, so I'm sure Emmett or somebody texted me and was like, hey, like, Trace wants to change his walk-up song. And I just downloaded the song without listening to it. And... Because because I couldn't listen to it because the gates were already open and I was already playing music, and it was I'm I'm pretty sure it was in April. I remember it was cold outside. I remember there was next to nobody in the stands, and um, Josh Flickinger was up there um, for the Beloit Daily News. He was covering the team. He was our beat writer, and um, and I play this new walk up song that Trace Lair wanted. And there's just cuss words all throughout it. And I'm That's just why like... That's the gangster rap part was important. Yes, exactly. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like, And I downloaded the clean version from YouTube, but of course I didn't listen to it. And it was not the clean version. And I played it, I think, for two or three at-bats. And I was just like, well... So be it. You know, there's nobody in the stands. Nobody's noticing. So I just went with it. I, I'm pretty sure it was two at bats, and then and then I finally recognized it and I changed it and it played something else or something like that. But the whole press box was just cracking up. We we're cracking up not only at the fact that we were playing a song with swear words in it, which which isn't really funny, but in the fact that there was almost nobody in the stands was. It was just like we worked so hard, like it was comical. Like you just kind of have to be at that level of tired and and pushed pushed too hard to like to find that funny, honestly. But but nonetheless, it was funny, and I remember that moment bonding with everybody in the press box. Usually at about eight p.m. in Beloit uh, during a home game, we're all in that mindset. So. Yeah, absolutely. So. Anything else you want to touch on, Josh? No, man. I, I appreciate uh, you having me on, and uh, you know, God bless you and your endeavors here with the the new gig and trying to get, get this podcast going. I think it's awesome that you're finding a way to you know still indulge in the passion, but you got to feed the family and pay the bills too. So yeah, man. Um, I just like Very cool. yeah. Of course, I had this um, idea for the podcast for a while. Um, just didn't have the time because I worked in minor league baseball. And now that I have some time, it works out pretty well. But but honestly, I feel that people that work in minor league baseball deserve this spotlight um, because they work so hard. Um, you know, people like you, like especially like. I mean, you go from your day job of of coaching and recruiting and all of that, and you and then you go to the ballpark at night um, to be the official scorer, and that's not an easy job, honestly. And for the people that work in minor league baseball full time, they deserve the spotlight, and and people want kind of want to know how the sausage is made a little bit. Um, so I think it it kills a couple birds with one stone, and I hope it, people enjoy it. Agreed, man. And I think the biggest thing is we all we all share the passion for the game, right? Absolutely. Uh, nobody works in minor league baseball to get rich. And That's for sure. Those of us that are lucky enough to indulge in it, you know, as a hobby, you know, we do it because we love it. It's not about it's not about the money, man. It's about the game and the camaraderie and you know the the friends that you make along the way. So uh, glad glad our paths crossed at some point, man. Yeah, me too, man. 
And just a reminder that I've made a Spotify playlist with all of our guests' favorite walk-up songs from every episode. Just search for the Pulling Tart Podcast walk-up playlist, and you'll find it. Um, but yeah, Josh, thank you so much. And um, are you going to return as official scorer at, at the new ABC Supply Stadium in Beloit? Yeah, I actually reached out to the GM uh, the other day to let him know you know, I'm available however he wants to utilize me. Um, I've, I've called games in the past uh, on the radio forum. I've done the scoreboard, the scoring. So, um, you know, I'm happy to help out in the press box in any way except that PA gig that um, that you did so well. I, oh, I thank you. In, uh, in doing that. so I don't know if I did that well, but thank you. Well, but better than I would have done it. So well, uh, there's certain things I'm comfortable with. That one, I don't. I don't know if I uh, if I want to man the the one computer with 17 different apps going and doing in the reads. And man, you got to be locked in the whole whole time. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And I and I think with the new stadium, it'll be more streamlined. There'll be one person for the music, one person. I'm assuming they're going to have a video board from the renderings I saw. Um, there'll be a f- person with official score. Um, Probably a person with the scoreboard. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But um, I, I do remember when we would have like situational reads, and I'd have to remind you, like Bobby, that was uh, they left a guy on third. Like that was <laughs> oh yeah, an open frame. Uh, Diamond Lane's open frame, dude. I I'll never forget when I sold that sponsorship. I was just like, boy, this is a reach. <laughs> and, and then you always forgot to read it. Yeah, yeah. So hey. It happens. It's not one of those things that you look out for, really. Right. But, but yeah. You need to get official score next to you to remind you. Yeah, it was it was a good upsell for sales as as far as that goes. But yeah, Josh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and coming on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. I really appreciate it, man. Definitely. Good talking to you, Bobby. And uh, next time you make it out to the Midwest, to me up. All right. Absolutely. You've listened to the Pulling Tarp Podcast, distributed by Stove Lake Media. Make sure you check out our page at StoveLeg.com to learn more about Bobby and the rest of the show. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation.